السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ ہاؤ یو آل ڈوئنگ اوکے لیٹس بگن نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي اللهم اهد قلبي وسدد لساني واسلل سخيمه قلبي امين يا رب العالمين وي ويل دو ذا ترانسليشن اوف لسن نمبر 17 سوره البقره فيرسز 113 تو 121 ريمبر اي وونت يو تو بي Nice and loud, but no yelling. Okay, everybody say, A'udhu Billah. وقالت اليهود ليست النصارى على شيء وقالت النصارى ليست اليهود على شيء وهم يتلون الكتاب كذلك قال الذين لا يعلمون مثل قولهم فالله يحكم بينهم يوم القيامة فيما كانوا فيه يختلفون ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم ولله المشرق والمغرب فأينما تولوا فثم وجه الله إن الله واسع عليم وقالوا اتخذ الله ولدا سبحانه بل له ما في السماوات والأرض كل له قانتون بديع السماوات والأرض وإذا قضى أمرا فإنما يقول له كن فيكون وقال الذين لا يعلمون لولا يكلمنا الله أو تأتينا آية كذلك قال الذين من قبلهم 
مثل قولهم تشابهت قلوبهم قد بينا الآيات لقوم يوقنون إنا أرسلناك بالحق بشيرا ونذيرا ولا تسأل عن أصحاب الجحيم ولن ترضى عنك اليهود ولا النصارى حتى تتبع ملتهم قل إن هدى الله هو الهدى ولئن اتبعت أهواءهم بعد الذي جاءك من العلم ما لك من الله من ولي ولا نصير الذين آتيناهم الكتاب يتلونه حق تلاوته أولئك يؤمنون به ومن يكفر به فأولئك هم الخاسرون Okay, let's begin. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani r-rajim. Bismillahi r-Rahman r-Rahim. Verse 113. وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ And the Yahud say, the Jews say, لَيْسَتِ النَّصَارَى The Christians are not عَلَى شَيْءٍ upon anything. وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَى And the Christians on the other hand say, that لَيْسَتِ الْيَهُودُ The Jews are not عَلَى شَيْءٍ upon anything. The Yahud say that the Christians are not upon anything. And the Christians say that the Jews are not upon anything. What does this mean? Before we go into the meaning, I want you to look at the word qalat. Qalat. Qalat literally means she said. And qala means he said. But remember that in the Arabic language, every word has a gender. So when you're referring to a noun... Depending on what noun it is, it's either going to be feminine or it's going to be masculine. So what that means is, you're going to use the pronouns accordingly. In the English language, I mean, you don't say, she to a pen, right? Or he to a pen. A pen is a pen. It, isn't it? But it's not like that in Arabic. In Arabic, either the pen is masculine or it is feminine. So, just like that, when it comes to groups of people also, Alright, like for example, we see over here, Al-Yahud. So this is a word for which feminine pronouns will be used. Okay? Which is why we have, Qalatil Yahudu. Now it doesn't mean that all Yahud are women. No, Yahud here is referring to the group of people, the nation. So feminine is used, but what is meant is, they. So Qalatil Yahud, they say that, Laysat nasara Laysat means, she is not. Literally, she is not. And what is meant over here is that they are not. Because that's how we say it in English. 
We don't refer to groups as feminine or masculine. We use the word they. So, laysat, they are not ala shayin upon anything. Now, who are the Yahud? Who are the Yahud? Remember that the Yahud and Nasara, they together are referred to as Ahlul Kitab, people of the scripture. So the Yahud are those who follow the Torah. They believe in the Torah and they follow it. And which prophet do they mainly follow? Prophet Musa a.s. After Musa a.s. many prophets were sent to them. But as we learned earlier, many prophets they denied and some they even attempted to kill. Now the Yahud do not believe in Prophet Isa a.s. They don't believe in Prophet Isa a.s. So those who do believe in the Prophet Isa a.s. And who are they? An-Nasara, the Christians. So the Yahud said to the Christians that you're not on anything. You're not on anything. What does that mean? You are not upon the truth. You are misguided. And the Christians, they say about the Jews that because they don't believe in Prophet Isa salam, they're not upon anything. Meaning they're not upon the truth. They're misguided. Now, there's a particular context to this verse. We learn in a narration which is in Tafsir ibn Abi Hatim that a delegation of Christians came from Najran. Najran is a particular area. From there, a group of Christians came to Medina to visit the Prophet ﷺ, to meet him, to see if he was really a prophet, and they wanted to see if they should believe in him. So remember that in Medina, the Jews also lived. So when the Jews heard that there's a group of Christians that is in the masjid right now, they went to the masjid. Now what happened? The Christians and the Jews started arguing with each other. Typically what happens is that when people of different faiths, they meet, they focus on what? On the differences. I mean, there's no harm in having a discussion, but that discussion must always be a civilized discussion. It should never become violent. So what happened over here is that there was a man from the Jews whose name was Rafir ibn Haramila. He got really angry and he addressed the group of the Christians and he said that you are not upon the truth. You are not rightly guided. You are astray. And he denied Prophet Isa salam. He denied the Injil. So on hearing this, the Christians got really upset. They're like, how dare you say that? So they said, you know what? You are not upon the truth. You are misguided. And you know what? We don't believe in your Musa. We don't believe in your Torah. Well, is it? I mean, if you think about it, if they followed the Injil, if they followed Prophet Isa salam, they should also believe in who? Prophet Musa salam, And they should also believe in the Torah. But at that time, in that anger and that hatred, that bias towards the Jews, this Christian man denied Prophet Musa salam, denied the Torah. So this verse was revealed. That look at them arguing. It doesn't make any sense. وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ لَيْسَتِ النَّصَارَ عَلَى شَيْءٍ وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَ لَيْسَتِ الْيَهُودُ عَلَى شَيْءٍ Look at these people. Look at how they are declaring each other to be misguided. Each group is claiming to be upon the truth. And look at their pride and look at their hatred towards each other that they are even denying what the book tells them to believe in. Like the reaction of the Christians over there was not appropriate at all. They denied Musa alayhi salam, 
they denied the Torah just because they did not like what the Jews said to them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَهُمْ يَتْلُونَ الْكِتَابِ And they read the book, they recite the book. Yatluna is from the word tilawa. Tilawa is recitation. They read the book. Yet, this is what they do. That in their hatred towards others, they will deny what the book tells them. They will deny what the scripture tells them. Does that make any sense? No. But this is what happens when people follow their ego and they have not submitted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, وَهُمْ يَتْلُونَ الْكِتَابِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, كَذَلِكَ Just like that, قَالَ الَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ People who don't know, they say the same thing. مِثْلَ قَوْلِهِمْ Similar to their statement. What is it that the Jews and Christians said? That only we are upon the truth. Everybody else is misguided. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the exact same statement is uttered by who? الَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Who are these people? الَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Those who do not know. Those who do not have knowledge. These are people who do not have scripture. The Jews had the Torah. The Christians had the Injil. But remember the Arabs, which scripture did they have? Which book did they have? None, which is why they were called Ummiyun. Correct? So they said the exact same thing. And what is it that they said? That Jews are not on anything, they're misguided, Christians are misguided. Basically what's happening is that each group is claiming to be right and each group is declaring everyone else to be misguided. You see what's happening? Each group is claiming that they are right and everybody else is misguided. So how do you solve this issue? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَاللَّهُ يَحْكُمُ So Allah will judge. بَيْنَهُمْ Between them, يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ On the day of judgment. This is a conflict that you can never resolve in this world. This cannot be resolved. There will always be some kind of Confusion in this matter in the sense that people will never agree. فِيمَا كَانُوا فِيهِ يَخْتَلِفُونَ In what they used to differ. يَخْتَلِفُونَ is from خَالَامْ فَا اِخْتِلَافُ is to differ with one another. Now you see this word يَحْكُمُ يَحْكُمُ is from the root letters حَا كَافْ مِيمْ حُكُمْ And حُكُمْ is judgment. But it is also judgment that is implemented, that is carried out. Now you see... When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Qur'an, He sent His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Did it not become evident who is upon the truth and who is misguided? Who is upon the truth? Who? Those who believe in Allah, all of His prophets, and follow the scripture that Allah has revealed. And those who do not believe in all of the prophets of Allah, who pick and choose who believe in parts of the book, deny other parts of the book, believe in some books, deny parts of other books, take the status of a prophet of Allah from human to God or son of God, then clearly there is something wrong over there. So if you think about it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has clarified truth from falsehood. He has through His Messenger. So then what is meant by this? That Allah will judge between them. Has He not already judged? Has He not already declared who is upon truth and who is not? He has. What is meant by this judgment on the day of judgment is that He will decide between them in the sense that each group will be given their 
result. And based on that result, it will be made clear who was right, who was wrong. So he will judge between them, meaning he will recompense them. He will give them their result. Now, in this ayah, what do we see? Something very interesting, which is that on the one hand, you have the Jews and the Christians. And what is their reality? They read the book, they recite the book. On the other hand, who do you have? People who don't have the scripture, they don't know anything. But when you look at all these people, all of them are saying the exact same statement. Their words are the same. Hmm? Their words are the same. So what this means is that those who don't know are similar to those who know. You see what's happening over here? Those who never had the scripture are doing, are saying the exact same thing that those who have the scripture are doing and saying. So then there is no difference between the knowledgeable and the illiterate. Apparently there is no difference. Why? Because those who have been given knowledge don't benefit from that knowledge. If they truly believed in the book and followed the book, they would not say such things. They would not argue in this way. So what we learn from this is that a truly knowledgeable person is not an arrogant person. A truly knowledgeable person is open-minded. He's not blind in his disapproval of others. You understand? He's not blind in his difference with others. He's open-minded. You see what happened with that Christian man? He said, you know what? We don't believe in Prophet Musa. Like seriously, if you believe in the scripture, you better believe in Prophet Musa. What happened over here? His ego came in. So those who are truly knowledgeable are open-minded. They're calm. They're composed. They are willing to discuss. But they will discuss in a very reasonable manner. They will discuss honestly, honestly, but also very respectfully. Very respectfully. There is this very interesting discussion between Sheikh Yasser Qadi and a Christian man. And I would encourage those of you who are interested to do listen to it and appreciate the manner in which they are openly discussing. Openly discussing in front of a huge congregation. They're not watering down the truth. They're not changing it. But they're discussing in a very civil manner. And this is something we need to remember. Because you see, here... Those who recite the book are equated with those who don't know. Because that's how they're behaving. Real knowledge makes you calm. It makes you confident. Not angry and violent and unwilling to even listen to another individual. Now what happens sometimes is that even within Muslims, have you seen differences? Yeah? Have you seen differences within Muslims? how emotional people become and how disrespectful they become. That how dare you pray like that? How dare you stand like this? And don't you know you're opposing the sunnah? And you know they will use these big words and fancy terms and make you feel like you're nothing. It's okay. You can disagree with someone but you don't have the right to insult them. Don't make fun of someone just because they're doing something different from you. Discuss with them. Ask them. Inquire. 
If you know something better, inform them. But be civil. Because this uncivilized way is something that does not befit people of knowledge. Woman adhlamu. Because what happens is that such kind of argument, it can lead to conflict, which can lead to violence. And have you heard of violence in the name of religion? I mean, these days I think everybody knows about it. And because of this, we see places of worship are targeted. That just because people who go to a certain masjid are not from your sect, you will act violently over there. People will be killed. Imagine, at the time of Jumu'ah, where there are so many people there for a congregation, what happens? An act of violence that will kill so many innocent people. So, remember that religious conflict is caused by arrogance and blind hatred and close-mindedness. And this conflict, it leads to a lot of chaos. So we see in the next ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ And who is more unfair? Who is more unjust? This is from the root, ظَلَمِيمْ ظُلْم is injustice. أَظْلَمْ Most unjust. مَنْ أَظْلَمْ Who is more unjust? مِمَّنْ Than who? مَنَعَ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ Meaning the person who commits this crime is committing an act that is very, very unjust. This is the height of injustice. This is one of the worst crimes that a person could commit. And what is this crime? That mana'a masajida Allah. Mana'a. He forbade. From the root letter is meem noon ayn. And manar is to stop someone from doing something. And this can be verbally or physically, directly or indirectly, where you don't allow someone to do something. So he is forbidding, he is stopping. Masajid Allah The mosques of Allah Masajid is the plural of the word Masjid Masjid is mosque It's from the root letter Sin Jim Dal Sajda Is to put your forehead on the ground So masjid is the place In which you put the forehead on the ground The place in which you prostrate So A mosque Masajid Allah Mosques of Allah What does it mean by this? Every masjid is for who? For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It belongs to Him. He deserves to be worshipped over there. But this person, he does not allow in the masjid, أَن يُذْكَرَ فِيهَا اسْمُهُ That the name of Allah is mentioned in the masjid. You understand what's happening? This is a person who does not allow the name of Allah from being mentioned in a mosque. Now imagine, a mosque is built for what purpose? For the worship of Allah. And this guy is not letting people worship Allah in a mosque. He's stopping people from worshiping Allah in the mosque. How exactly? Through different ways. And there are many people who are guilty of this crime. Remember Abraha? Remember Abraha? Who was Abraha? The king who came to destroy the Kaaba. And he wanted to destroy the Kaaba because he did not like that people went to worship God over there. He wanted people to come to his temple that he had built, his cathedral. Likewise, we see that the Quraysh, the people of Mecca, they would not allow the Muslims to worship Allah in Masjid al-Haram. They would not allow Muslims to recite the Quran. You know when the Prophet ﷺ would be praying, Abu Jahl, 
would get very angry, very angry. And one day he threatened the Prophet ﷺ that if I see you praying like this again, I'm going to step on your head. So what happened? The Prophet ﷺ, he continued to pray. And Abu Jahl, he came forward to put his foot on the neck of the Prophet ﷺ. And what happened? All of a sudden he started running away. And he was terrified. Because he saw in front of him a fire and he felt like he was going to fall into it. And something was going to pull him into it. The Prophet ﷺ was once praying in the haram. And what happened? Uqba bin Abi Mu'ith, he went and got the intestines and the, you know, all the inner parts of a camel that had been slaughtered. All those inner gross parts, he brought them and put them on the neck of the Prophet ﷺ. So that he would suffocate and he would not be able to get up. And then all of them were laughing and making fun of the Prophet ﷺ. And Fatima anha, who was still a young girl at the time, she came and she removed everything from her father. Now imagine, if they did this to the Prophet ﷺ, then the weak Muslims, were they able to go publicly and pray? Were they able to do that? No. They were not allowed to worship Allah. You know, when the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, he had a dream that he was doing Umrah. He went to the Masjid al-Haram. So he told the companions, let's go for Umrah. And they all went. But when they reached Makkah, were they allowed to enter? They were not allowed to enter. Instead, a treaty was signed and then the Muslims were allowed to come the next year. So we see that there are many people who are guilty of this crime. That they don't allow people to worship Allah in a mosque. Now the examples that I've given you are very big examples. We need to think about ourselves. Do we somehow prevent people from worshiping Allah in a masjid? Do we? Is there a way in which we could possibly be preventing someone from worshipping Allah? Is there a way? What way is that? So for example, if there's somebody who comes to the masjid the first time, and you've never seen them before, and you stare at them and you're like, who are you? You don't belong here. Or for example, they're not dressed the way you would like them to be dressed. So you look at them awkwardly, and some people will even have the audacity to go and shame them. Hmm? Or for example, if there's a woman with a child, she's yelled at. Or for example, you know, they're not given any space. Or for example, somebody's sitting trying to recite the Qur'an and we're talking and talking and laughing and making so much noise they're not able to concentrate. Somebody's praying right there and we're too busy talking, disturbing them. So the next time they say, you know what, I think I'll just pray at home. So this is a crime. Stopping people from worshipping Allah in a mosque is a serious crime. You see, man azulamu. What does it mean? No one is more unjust than this guy. So be careful about your actions. You don't want to be that individual who's stopping people from worshipping Allah in a mosque. Secondly, wasa'afi kharabiha. The second crime is that he strives in the destruction of the masjid. Sa'a is from the root letter Sina'inya and Sa'i is to endeavor to put in a lot of effort to do something. And it's also used for running. Like the Sa'i that you do in Umrah, there is a particular portion in which the men are required to walk a little fast. Isn't it? They're almost running, sprinting. This is Sa'i. So Sa'a, he's striving, you know, he's working really hard to do kharab of the masjid. What is kharab? Kharab is from the root letters kharaba, 
And kharab is basically of two types. I'll tell you what it is and then it'll make sense to you. Kharab is to destroy something. Now, that destruction could be in two ways. One way is hissi. What does hissi mean? Physical, tangible. Like for example, there is a building and it is physically destroyed. Like for example, there could be, there are people who will go to a mosque and uh, you know throw a bomb in there or do something like that. So what happens? Or there's shooting. So what happens? The building itself is actually destroyed. People are physically harmed. The second type of kharab is to destroy something in a ma'nawi way. Ma'nawi, intangible way. Meaning to do something to it so that it's no longer used. To cause so much of a problem that it's no longer used. It's just laying empty, waste. So for example, there's a masjid, it's built, but there's so much politics and so many fights and arguments and so many things go wrong over there that people don't want to go to that mosque. They're scared of going to that mosque. So what happens during times of prayer? That mosque is basically empty. It's basically empty. This is another form of kharab. So you see how there's two types of kharab? One is physical destruction. And the other is intangible destruction. So, وَسَعَ فِي خَرَابِهَا He strives hard to destroy the mosque, to harm the mosque. This is a great crime. Now tell me, how is a mosque physically destroyed? I gave you one example. Can you give me another example of how a mosque could be physically destroyed? Physically harmed? So for example, it's not being maintained properly. Now, for instance, you go to a masjid to pray. And what happens? You took your coffee with you. Or you brought your juice with you. We're going to have, inshallah, our luncheon party very soon. But we're sitting in a masjid, right? So now, if let's say there is a spill, and the carpet gets damaged, wet, stained, what are you going to do? Oh, they'll fix it. What happens when you do something like that at home? Do you leave it? They'll fix it. Who'll fix it? You have to fix it. At least take responsibility for it. If you're running in the masjid, and you happen to fall into a wall or something, and you make a hole in that wall, who'll fix it? They'll fix it. If you're playing with a basketball outside, and you hit a window, or you hit somebody's car, and then you see a big crack, don't walk away as if nothing happened. Because this would be kharab of the masjid, and this would be a great crime in the sight of Allah. The things that are inside the masjid, like for example, the tables that you're using, do we have a duty towards looking after them and making sure that they're not dirty? Or should we be sticking gum under it? Oh, the teacher's here. Let's just stick the gum under the table. That's just gross. You know, you might find this funny and strange, but there is actually a discussion amongst the scholars that is a person even allowed to pass wind in the masjid. Pass wind as in break there, wudu. Pass gas. Hmm? There's a discussion about that. Is a person allowed to do that in a masjid? You know why they discussed it? Because it would cause smell. So there's a discussion that are you allowed to do this in a masjid? Spread bad smell 
because of something that may not be fully in your control. There is a discussion about this. Some scholars said that it is discouraged. So when you are feeling that you may need to do that, you must step outside of the masjid. The reason why I'm mentioning this is that when we are supposed to respect the masjid to such a degree that we don't even cause any temporary harm or damage. This is temporary, right? In a few minutes that smell will go away. But still you should not do that out of respect for the masjid. Then how can we leave garbage in the masjid? How can we chew our nails and spit them out in the masjid? How can we come to the masjid with dirty smelly socks or feet that have not been washed or nails that are full of dirt? How? Or how can we be putting our finger into our ears, pulling out earwax and just throwing it? Come on. I see it, you know, because I'm standing here. I see people doing lots of interesting things. Lots of interesting things. This is a masjid, house of Allah. Those who harm the masjid, destroy the masjid in a physical way or in an intangible way. Intangible way, like for example, there's always fighting, conflict. People are not welcomed. This is all part of kharab of the masjid. There's a hadith in your book in which we learned that once two people were talking in a masjid, Umar radiallahu anhu, he called them. He said, where are you from? And they said, we're from Ta'if. He said, okay, you're from Ta'if, that's why I'm letting you go. Meaning you're visitors, that's why I'm letting you go. If you were a local, I would have punished you. Because you're making noise in the masjid. Umar radiallahu anhu was going to punish someone who's making noise in the masjid. Imagine. The masjid is a sacred place. It deserves respect and care from us. So the one who disturbs that peace in the masjid, whether it is in a physical way or another way, then he is committing a serious crime in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We learn in a hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said that there will be in the end of time people who will sit in the masjid in circles. And their main concern will be this world. They will sit in the masjid, but they will talk only about what? Worldly matters. Not the Qur'an, not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not worship, not akhirah, worldly matters. So the Prophet ﷺ said, do not sit with them. Allah has no need of such people. What is the purpose of a masjid? It's built for the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why Allah says that ulaika, those people, ma kana lahum, it is not correct for them, ayyadukhuluha, that they should enter it, illa khaifin, except while being fearful. Khaifin is the plural of khaif. Khaif is one who has khawf. So what's the etiquette of the masjid? That when we enter, we should be afraid of Allah. Afraid of Allah. Be very conscious, be very careful. You know, for example, when you go to a government building, it's different from when you go to a mall. When you go to a mall, what do you do? You sit anywhere, you eat anywhere, you talk however you want, you joke with your friends. But when you go to a government building, can you do that? You can't do that. If you go to a serious place, you better act seriously. So when we enter the masjid, there's an etiquette that we must observe. And if we violate that, if we disrespect the masjid, make it dirty, damage it, then we should be afraid of Allah. لَهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا خِزْيُونَ For them is disgrace in this world. For who? For people who cause damage to the masjid. They will be humiliated in this world. Allah will bring them down. 
And for them in the hereafter will be a great punishment. So we see that those who damage a masjid, for such people is double punishment. Where? In this world and also in the hereafter. In this world and in the hereafter. We learn in a hadith that the Prophet ﷺ even forbade people from carrying weapons in a masjid. You know that? You're not allowed to even bring a weapon in the masjid. And he said that if you have to pass through the masjid, because at that time people would just go through the masjid because it was a shortcut, enter one door, go out the other. And if they were carrying weapons, the Prophet ﷺ would say that hold it by the sharp part. Meaning it should not be Exposed Because if it's exposed, it might hit someone, scratch someone, hurt someone, frighten someone. This is how we're supposed to be in a masjid. Very careful. Because a masjid is for Allah, for the worship of Allah. And all those who come to a masjid should feel safe and secure. Welcome. Okay, listen to the recitation of these two verses. وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ لَيْسَتِ النَّصَارَى عَلَى شَيْءٍ وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَى لَيْسَتِ الْيَهُودُ عَلَى شَيْءٍ وَهُمْ يَتْلُونَ الْكِتَابَ كَذَلِكَ قَالَ الَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ مِثْلَ قَوْلِهِمْ فَاللَّهُ يَحْكُمُ بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ فِيمَا كَانُوا فِيهِ يَخْتَلِفُونَ وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ مَنَعَ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ أَنْ يُذْكَرَ فِيهَا اسْمُهُ وَسَعَى فِي خَرَابِهَا أُولَئِكَ مَا كَانَ لَهُمْ أَنْ يَدْخُلُوهَا Thank you.